good to be back and to be back on campus, which means Chi Alpha is back on, everybody. Hey, the Lord's going to do some incredible things this semester. We are, we are excited about the semester ahead of us. We've got a lot of full, wonderful weeks of things and activities and, and ministries and mission trips and missions training and leadership retreats. We have lots of things ahead. So encourage you to be active in your small groups because that's where you're going to get the news on what Chi Alpha is up to. But we are just absolutely thrilled to be back. Today, we are talking about the devil. Boo, hiss. That's a good response. I believe the devil is real. I believe it. I believe the devil is real. And you know what? You should too. The Bible talks a lot, an awful lot about the devil, who he is, what his plans and purposes are for you. And it's interesting because there's not many passages in scripture where you actually hear the voice of the devil speak. In fact, there's only three occasions in the Bible where you hear the, the devil talk and use his own words. You see him in, um, in the story of Adam and Eve when he approaches them as a serpent to tempt them. You see him in the book of Job where he's escorted up to God and have a conversation about the godliness and righteousness of Job and where the devil tries to test God and to test Job. You also hear the voice of the devil when Jesus is in the wilderness in the Gospels where he is fasting for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness and Satan comes up to tempt him in different ways. We can go into these things as the semester goes on, but today I want to talk about another particular passage that's not exactly quoting the devil, but it is a magnificently clear passage about the idea and attitude that the devil has. You see, the devil has a philosophy. He lives by a certain code, and we read and learn about how the devil thinks and how he operates in the world and the nature of his rebellion. In Isaiah chapter 14, this is a fascinating passage, the prophet Isaiah goes into an inside scoop, a background information on how the devil thinks. And in Chi Alpha and in our generation today in the university, I submit to you, my friends, you must know how the devil thinks and how he operates if you are going to have any defense against the attacks of the enemy. So tonight, we're going to get into that. We're going to discover how the devil thinks. In Isaiah 14, Isaiah, in prophesying against Babylon, he takes a break to explain and describe this attitude. He says, start in chapter 14, starting in verse 12, he says this, how you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of the assembly, on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. 
I will make myself like the Most High. Let's pray. Jesus, we are seeking your face tonight so that we can have a defense against the attacks of the devil. Jesus, you are the one with all the power. You are the one with all the authority. Would you teach us, Lord, how to trust you and your authority and your power who protects and keeps us close to you? In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. Amen. Anybody in the room fans of the game chess? Anyone play chess? Okay, we got some, we got some fans, okay. Well, chess is quite a particular, we got an expert over here on the side of the room. It's a particularly difficult game, board game, that has got like how many millions and millions of different like variations of how it can go. It's actually, it's ridiculous how insane the game. So I, the, my only experience really with chess is back in junior high. Remember when like when you were forced to play and like you had to learn the rules? We had to learn the rules in like junior high. Now I went home and my brother who was quite good at the game, he taught me how to checkmate your opponent in four moves. It's actually the quickest way you can checkmate your opponent. There's, it's everyone, it's basically the most beginner amateur strategy that you can come up with on, in chess. There's only one way to do it as far as I know, but you can checkmate your opponent in four moves. So my brother taught me this, and my junior high had a tournament to see who was the best um, at the game of chess. Now, I did not really know anything about chess. I didn't even know how all the pieces were supposed to move, but I did learn how to checkmate my opponent in four moves. It's very easy for these plans to get like thwarted and ruined. They just have to move one pawn in one area, and it's like it, the plan's over. But when you're in junior high, no one knows that. <laughs> so I enter this chess tournament, and I end up beating every single person, and I end up winning the chess tournament in junior high. Now, it's hilarious because I didn't know anything really about the game. I didn't know any strategy, but I did know one junior high strategy that somehow made some good for me. And it was, it was actually kind of hilarious. It's like, I don't deserve this medal, but I got it, you know. So uh, there's, there's strategies to everything. Anyone, like, I mean, who's like the board game person in here? Who's like, I will play anyone at any board game. I will play you at Clue, and I will dominate. I will play Monopoly. Any Monopoly fans? Yeah? Everyone's pointing at Patty. Okay, Monopoly. Like, let's just be honest. Monopoly ruins friendships, like, forever. It's like, there's a guy. We were good friends, but we played Monopoly, and it's kind of been three years since we talked, right? That kind of thing. What about Battleship? Anyone play Battleship when you're good? Yeah. Well, to all of these things, there's strategies to everything. A game, a neighborhood game that my friends and I would play all the time at, at our neighborhood swimming pool was a game called Sharks and Minnows. Anybody ever play Sharks and Minnows? So the goal of this game, we had, so we had a gnarly uh, deep end in our swimming pool, our neighborhood swimming pools, 12 feet deep. A magnificent place to drown, if that's what you're into. So... But you've got the sharks on one side of the pool, and the sharks, their goal is for them, they're in the water, they have to tag the minnows who jump in and have to swim and just simply tag the wall, and the sharks have to tag them. Now, we played on hardcore mode, okay? We played, we didn't play tag, we played a, a version of the game called pull-up, 
where the sharks had to swim down to the bottom and wrestle with the minnows, the people who are the minnows, and wrestle them to the surface of the pool. So if you get their head out of the water, that means the shark successfully won over the minnow. So you understand the rules here. The minnow, in order to win, you have to try to drown. And the sharks, in order to defeat you and for the sharks to win, they have to pull you up above water. Now, we were absolutely intense. We would, f we would have wrestling matches at the bottom of the 12-foot deep end. And there's a bunch of strategies of how you could defeat your opponent. The sharks could kind of hold their feet against the wall and just bear hug you and wait till you hold out of breath. So if you got great lung capacity, you can, you can try to put the fear of God in your opponent and try to drown them. And then when they start swimming towards the surface, you got them, you win. So it's a strategy and it works. Now, the minnows have another really interesting strategy that we would do when we were minnows. We would fake like we were running out of breath. We would slowly float to the top of the surface. The sharks that were trying to pull us up would loosen their grip around us. And then you'd swim down real quick and swim towards the wall and tag the wall. It's another strategy. My favorite strategy has to be my friend David. <laughs> David had a unique take on how to be a minnow. He swam to the bottom of the deep end. The sharks are going all the way down to try to pull him up. He pulls down his trousers to his knees, exposing himself. Nobody wanted to touch him, and he swam to the wall, and he ended up winning the game. <laughs> it's silly. It is very inappropriate, <laughs> but nonetheless, it is a strategy. Guys, you must know that there is a strategy to spiritual warfare. And what you must understand is the devil has a thought-out strategy in how to destroy you. If you don't know that, you better believe that. The devil has a strategy in how to defeat you and to conquer you. The devil wants to embarrass you and humiliate you. He wants to turn you into lesser than what God has made you to be. The devil's goal for you is to seek you out and to destroy your life any way he can. He has a strategy to accomplish that. As a Christian, we must understand and accept that our life is a spiritual battle. And the Bible teaches us the strategy to fight back against the devil and to protect ourselves from his attacks. Friends, this is way too serious to miss. I have way too many friends who walked with Jesus who loved God and who were really great friends. And I watched so many friends in my life who listened to a lie of the devil and their lives were destroyed. I watched friends get, in, get divorced. I saw infidelities. I saw friends getting into terrible types of sin. I have friends that have even gotten in trouble with the law. They walked with God but the devil got a hold in their life. You cannot take this serious enough. In order for us to understand how to defend ourselves, like the Bible teaches us, against the attacks of the devil, we got to know who the devil is. Who is 
the devil. Well, the Bible teaches us that the devil used to be an archangel. He was an angel of God, and his name in heaven was Lucifer. Now, we hear the name Lucifer. We, in our culture, we automatically are like the enemy, the devil. We know that name is a cursed name, as it were. But if you were an angel in heaven, Lucifer is a name that does not mean anything evil. It was, he was a beautiful angel of light. In fact, Lucifer, the name, means light bearer. It means the brilliant one, the shining one. Other Bible scholars interpret this word to mean that, his, that Lucifer means the morning star or the day star. This, make no mistake, Lucifer in heaven before sin, before the fall, he was a magnificent creation of God. So spectacular and so magnificent, if either of us would have seen him before his fall, we would be tempted to worship him because he was so radiant and magnificent in his brilliance and his beauty. Now, going back to this passage in Isaiah, you can almost guarantee the image of the prophet Isaiah sitting on a mountaintop, writing out his prophecies that he is going to preach to the city of Babylon and to preach into Judea and Israel. And you can see Isaiah sitting there on that mountaintop as the beautiful sunrise comes up. And the thought enters his head, how beautiful you used to be. How magnificent, Lucifer, you used to be before your tragic, gigantic fall. Say, uh, Jesus even describes Satan's fall. He says, I saw Satan fall out of heaven like lightning, which is a fascinating statement because in order for him to say that, that means he must have been there. Lucifer was not a wicked creature he was a mighty godly magnificent creature and then he sinned and then he fell after satan fell his name took on a whole new definition did it not he is now the bible describes the devil satan as the accuser is that's one of his names he is the accuser did you know every there there's the devil wants to whisper accusations in your ear all day long some of you have been such bad victims of the devil's accusations. You need someone tonight to tell you that the accuser is after you and those are lies and you should not believe them. And you should hold up the word of God and you should quote the truth to yourself so that you do not believe the lies of the devil. The accuser will accuse you of sins you've committed in the past. He'll remind you of those sins just to bring you down. That's what the devil's strategy is. To, acute, to remind you, remember those things you did? You're not really a changed person. Remember those sins you did? I, I bet God was, is so disappointed in you. Whatever that whispering in your ear, you need to know that whisper is not the Holy Spirit. It's the enemy. It's the accuser. The Holy Spirit does not accuse like the devil. He is not an accuser. The devil is the accuser. The devil also accuses you of things that you did not do. There are some people that walk around with a guilt hanging over them because the devil's convinced you you've sinned when you actually haven't. As long as the devil can make you walk around with guilt hanging around your neck, he's winning the battle. 
Now, I'm not speaking against the possibility of us being guilty of sin. I'm saying when there isn't sin present, the devil even loves to make sure you think that there's sin present. Okay? He's the accuser. The, de- uh, the Bible also describes the devil as our adversary. He is our enemy. He is the adversary of God and God's people. The Bible also describes him as the crooked serpent. Well, we see the devil in the garden. Matthew says he calls him the enemy. Revelation describes him, it says he's the great dragon. And, Math- and John chapter 8 calls him a liar and a murderer. The devil is our great enemy, and he's the enemy and the betrayer of God. First Peter, there's a great verse that explains this and warns us believers. Peter says, be alert and of sober mind. What does being of sober mind mean? That means thinking in common sense. Being of sober mind, thinking in reality. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Friends, those people the devil's trying to devour is you and me. And we must not be ignorant of the plans of the devil. There are two very dangerous attitudes I'd like to bring to our attention because this is two certain attitudes that I see in our culture today. And these are very prominent. And this is concern, attitudes concerning the devil that can get you into big trouble if you have these attitudes. Number one mistake is this. If I ignore him, he will ignore me. This is a common mistake that believers make concerning the devil. If I ignore him, he's just going to ignore me. This is not true. The devil has a plan and a purpose to destroy your life. And if you go through life just pretending and pretending he's not there, pretending that he's not really a threat, pretending that he doesn't really have anything, if you just leave him alone, you don't mess with things, that he won't, he absolutely will and is trying to mess with you. The devil loves it when people forget that he exists. It's his greatest advantage when people forget that the devil exists. Because when you ignore him, you forget he's there. You forget that there is spiritual darkness that is attacking people, attacking, trying to separate us from the love of the Father. When we forget that, then we fail to remember that we need the full armor of God. We fail to remember that we need Jesus and we need his suffering. We we need his covering over us that he purchased through his suffering. Are y'all with me tonight? If your strategy against the devil is just to ignore him and pretend he's not there, guess what? You're still playing junior high chess. You don't actually have a plan. You don't actually have a plan to succeed. You don't have a plan to to walk with God and to set your eyes on God. You're going to be caught off guard every single time. The second mistake and attitude that we see in our culture is an overconfidence over the devil. You've seen this before, too. It's people that, these might be believers, and they're saying, I am a follower of Jesus. The devil has nothing on me, and, and I laugh at the face of the devil. He has no power. He's a little wimp. He's a little weakling. Now, hear me out, Chi Alpha. If you are full of the Holy Spirit, and you have your faith in Jesus Christ, that is true. The devil, I believe the devil cannot harm you unless you give him permission to. I believe that's true. But 
a lot of times when I see people with this overconfidence, a lot of times they're not putting their confidence in Christ, they're putting their confidence in themselves. And that's a mistake. You see, the devil is no contest to Christ and God and his armies. He's no contest. The devil and God are not opposites. It's not a yin-yang kind of thing. That's Jesus and the devil are not brothers. That's a lie. <laughs> Jesus and the devil are not opposites. Jesus, there is no contest. The devil tries to tempt Jesus and he brushes him off. But the devil versus you without Christ, he is stronger than you. He is, he is more powerful. He's more, guys, look, the devil does not have to sleep. You do. And we have to watch to see if that our overconfidence is really confidence in self because that's going to get us in trouble. The devil doesn't sleep. The devil is infinitely smarter than you and I. The devil knows the Bible better than you and me. He's been facing the word of God for thousands and thousands of years. He knows the Bible. The devil has lived longer than you. The devil has had thousands of years to perfect exactly how to tempt someone with your personality. Friends, don't miss this. He is planning and plotting your spiritual destruction, and he is doing it right now. He is planning and plotting. And a lot of times what I see the devil do, he plants certain little potholes along the road, and he won't, he doesn't try to destroy you every single day, but he will get you to stand in just the right spot, in just the right posture, to believe just the right lie, that one tiny little sin will grow into something very evil, very terrible, very awful, and if he can line up a perfect sniper shot, he'll, he can take you out in one day. And he'll do that by enticing you towards sin. He just needs that one day. He needs that one time, that one opportunity. And so what, what must we do? We don't have a self-confidence. What we need is a Christ confidence. We need confidence in the word of God and what it says about you and what about me and how we can protect ourselves against the devil. But if your, your battle, if your strategy is to fight the devil with just being a tough guy or being smart, or having a confidence in self, I hate to break it to you, but you're still playing junior high chess. You're not gonna, that's not an actual strategy. It's not gonna work. C.S. Lewis, in his magnificent fiction series called, commonly called the Space Trilogy, these three books, they're science fiction books, they're very difficult to understand. But if you love fiction and you love C.S. Lewis, highly recommend you check out these books. The Space Trilogy by C.S. Lewis. In these books, he describes very interestingly the devil's plan and his strategy. The devil is not interested in totally breaking you in half. Instead, what he wants, Lewis describes as he is bent. The devil walks around with bent philosophy. He'll take something that's true, but he'll distort that truth. He'll distort that thing and bend it into an obscure, terrible thing. But to the, to the untrained eye, it will look like a truth. It will look like something that he'll start with a truth and then bend that truth. And Lewis describes that those that fall victim to the devil, when we follow after the devil's strategies and attitudes, that we become bent. 
And you see, the devil's very crafty because he doesn't want to bend you so far to where you break. Do you know why? Because if you break, if, you, if your spirit and your heart and your motivation and your life breaks in half and what we call hitting rock bottom, you know what happens all the time? Is people get saved. <laughs> people finally realize, I can't do this in my own strength and I need God. And so they get saved. So the devil is smarter than that. He doesn't want to break you in half. He doesn't, listen here, he doesn't want you to hit rock bottom. He wants you to coast right over rock bottom for years and years and years. So much that you don't really even think that it's happening to you. That's his strategy over your life. Because if he breaks you in half, you just might get right with God. This is why in small group, we love the conversation about God. And it might feel like you're being exposed, like your heart's being exposed. But I want to challenge you, Chi Alpha, allow that heart exposure to happen. Allow it to happen. It might even facilitate you spiritually breaking in your friend's living room and bursting into tears. Don't neglect that powerful moment. That's not the devil. That can easily transition to a salvation where you give your life to Jesus. Or, or, or you realize his love for you deeper than you've never ever experienced before. That breaking is a marvelous sight. But the devil doesn't want, he wants you to walk around bent. He wants you just to be okay with how things are. He wants you to just really agree like the status quo that I don't really need to ask deep questions about God everything will work out in the end that's a great lie the devil would love us to believe let's go back to the scripture here and I want to break down what we just read this is what I call the five I wills of the devil Isaiah proclaims the devil's character and his attitude and his strategies. And this is what we call the five I wills. And we've got them on the screen. These are the I wills of the devil. He says, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. Make no mistake, Chi Alpha, the devil actually believes he's going to win the battle. That is a declaration of what he believes. That is his mission statement. That is his mantra. That is his goal in existence is to accomplish this. And he believes he will accomplish that. He says, I will make myself like the most high. Now, what I want to do here is I want to take a magnifying glass to each of these things because each of these I will statements of the devil is actually an attitude that you and I can be dangerously get trapped into. You want to see what those things are? These are dangerous attitudes that we can fall into. So when he says, I will ascend to the heavens, you know what that basically says? It says this. I am completely fine all by myself. There's this attitude where the devil's claiming that I, in my own strength, I will accomplish my ascent into the stars. I don't need God's help. I just need my own strength and my own. All I need is years of evolution and years of, of mankind being refined, and we will transcend even the heavens themselves. By the way, look how far mankind has gotten ourselves already as it is. This is the secular folly of that type of thinking. 
I am completely fine all by myself. But see, guys, yeah, we'll go to the next slide, Isaac. I am completely fine all by myself. That is what that means. That is an attitude that can destroy you, Chi Alpha. I am completely fine all by myself. I met a guy one years years ago, and he was saying, uh, I'm really a loner, and, and I've learned that I need that what I really need right now is, is to not be around people and not listen to people, uh, uh, people's opinions about me. And I try my best to live in solitude and not listen to anyone else. And I was like, wow, that's fascinating. He was like, yeah, yeah, it's just, I just think that's the way I should. And this guy claimed to be a Christian. And I was talking to him, I was like, hey, you're probably the most dangerous person I've ever met. He was like, really? I was like, yeah, dude. You're terrified. I, I never want to get to know you. It was really mean, I know. He was like, bro, why? What are you talking about? I goes, and I said, if no one in your life has the authority to tell you that you're wrong about something, then you're never going to be wrong about something, and you're going you're, you're gonna to turn into a monster if you keep going down this road. I, I think it's a huge mistake. The Bible says it, is that we need each other. The eye cannot say to the mouth, I have no need of you. You see, guys, you might not be saying this, I'm completely fine all by myself, but if you're living that out as a conviction, that's a satanic idea. That's how the devil thinks. I'm completely fine all by myself. It's humility that stands up and says, I need people's opinions about my life because I'm not always right. Are y'all with me tonight, guys? Now, now you might not be saying this sentence, but, but again, notice the bent nature. I'm completely fine all by myself. That sentence on its own is not a sinful thing to say. It's not a, you might need to be alone for a few hours. You might need that. That might be a healthy thing. But if you make that a goal of your life, you become bent. It becomes a philosophy. If you start to preach that as a sermon, you're bent and you're not going to think in reality anymore. Are y'all with me? The second one, he says, I will raise my throne above the stars. That attitude says that I'm right and you're wrong. <laughs> I'm right and you're wrong. Again, you might have a discussion with someone and you might be right and they might be wrong. The sentence on its own is not sinful. But if you make that a philosophy of your life, you become bent. And you'll, you'll never be able to be friends with anybody. You're going to think the world is out to get you, but really you're the problem. It's like the people that, that get shot down by person of the opposite sex too many times and they say, I, I'm like every person of this gender is the enemy. Be careful because you might be the person that's messed up. You see, in that equation, you're the common denominator. You ever think about that? <laughs> Come back to me. I'm not trying to be too harsh, but hear me out. If we live out this philosophy, I'm right, you're wrong, you're never going to know God because God's the one who's right. And we're the ones who have to realize we're wrong. And you're going to become bent. The third one is I, I, I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly. This is fascinating that the devil's saying this. He said, I will sit on the mount of assembly. The mount of assembly is a place that is, that is um, underneath the soil there. It's talking about 
that this is the ultimate place where God judges. It's basically his throne. It's, it's where the judge sits in the courtroom. He's like, I will sit on that seat. I will be the judge. That's the attitude there that the, the devil has. But where we see this attitude is in this statement when we start to say this, I should be in charge. People above me, my small group leader, my church pastor, my professor, they don't, really, they don't know. They don't know. Like they're, they're, they, If they knew what I knew, then they would really listen to what I'm saying because I'm the one who's right and they're the ones who are wrong. Guys, you might not be saying that with your words and with your mouth, but if you believe that in your heart, you've become bent and the devil has fooled you into believing a lie. That is a satanic evil way to think. But again, it doesn't always mean it's wrong. It's when it becomes a philosophy for you. That's when it's dangerous. Fourth, he says, I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. This one gets so many people, friends. This is the attitude that says, I deserve more recognition. I need more recognition. Now, again, we need to love one another in Christian love and affections, and we should give people affirmation and recognition at the right proper time. It's not an evil thing to desire attention from a brother or a sister or a friend. Is this making sense? But you see, when you make that a sermon in your life, when you start holding bitterness towards other people, I deserve recognition, you become bent. And you live in a philosophy where no one, the whole world is against you. You're always right and they're always wrong. This is like, oh man, I don't know if I should say this. I'll try to say this, but that, it's, like, it's like when someone's like, I, I'm the only one that can throw my own birthday party because no one else can do it like me. It's like, it's like things, if things can only be done your way and everyone, every other way is discounted and wrong, there's a problem. There's a problem because you're thinking yourself too highly. Y'all with me with that, right? Number five, the devil says, I will make myself like the most high. This is the ultimate ridiculous stupidity of the devil and his claim of all time. He actually believes he will ascend higher than God. And guys, you might not be saying that sentence, I'm the center of the universe, but boy, do people in our culture today live that out. They actually live their lives as though they're the center of the universe and that everyone else's opinions, everyone else's thoughts do not matter. That is a attitude and the voice of the devil. Now, that's, that's what the devil's lies are all about. What then should we do? If you have your Bibles and you turn to Ephesians chapter 6, the Bible gives us a beautiful, perfect description of how we can protect ourselves against these lies. Ephesians, Galatians, Ephesians 6. This is what we call the full armor of God. Therefore, we must put on the full armor of God. This is Paul explaining to the church. This is, he's reminding us that we do not fight a physical warfare. We fight a spiritual battle. He says in verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and his, in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, 
against powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You know what that means, guys? Your choices and your decisions are neutral because you, have, you can choose right or wrong. You have the dignity of that choice. But the world you are in is not neutral. It's not because the devil... There's spiritual darkness and forces out to destroy you. And we can't sit here and just kind of pretend like there's no battle going on. Christians, we have to wake up and realize that there's a spiritual war over our souls and that we need to be ready. He says, we, we, have, we deal with spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Verse 13, therefore, Paul says, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. This is the full armor of God. What's the belt of truth? That's simple. We should be obsessed with the truth. You should be obsessed with the truth. You should, you should know the truth so well that the moment a slight lie or untruth pops in the equation, you immediately call that thing out. You can see it like it's plain as day because you've got the belt of truth on. The breastplate of righteousness, what is that? You want to know the ultimate way to fight against the devil? Live a righteous, sinless life. Live righteously. Pursue holiness. Pursue Jesus every single day and live a life of holiness that he gives us the power to live. Tear out the things in your life that cause you to stumble. Tell your small group and your close friends about it, and they can help you tear out the things in your life that causes you to stumble. That is the breastplate of righteousness. Feet fitted with readiness. That's really cool because that's like what I picture there is people that are ready to serve one another. Feet, feet that are ready to preach the gospel. Feet that are ready to do the work of the gospel. A shield of faith. Guys, this is incredible. The shield of faith is just your faith in Jesus and his crucifixion and resurrection and trusting in the knowledge and the wisdom of Jesus and who he is. Just that faith in your heart is like a covering over your head that protects you from fiery arrows of the devil. Your faith in Jesus and clinging to the truth of the gospel. The helmet of salvation, what could that look like? What we should do, Chi Alpha, is to fill our mind with the day that the Lord Jesus saved you. The Bible says, remember back when you were saved. Recall in that moment. Guys, the helmet of salvation, it's, it's filling your mind up with the, the beautiful, precious cross of Jesus that he cruci was crucified and died for our sins. And this one's probably the easiest and most obvious. He says, wield the sword of the Spirit which is the word of God. Dig your life and dig yourself into the word of God. Now, to conclude here, what's our defense? How do we actually defend ourselves from the lies of the devil, from the spiritual darts of the enemy, is this armor of God? How do you wear this armor of God? Our true defense, your true defense, Chi Alpha, 
is to have an active spiritual life. It's to serve the Lord Jesus. I love seeing this in Chi Alpha. This happens every year. We meet guys, they get in a small group, and they got big problems. I mean, like, dang. Like, they're big struggles, big life, real life problems. And then you see Jesus change their life, and they, they get saved, and then they start getting, they become a small group leader, and this is gnarly. Their problems are still gigantic, but then they start loving and serving the gospel and loving Jesus, and they start making disciples of other guys in their lives. And it's crazy. Their problems, even though they're big, they perceive them to be smaller and smaller and smaller because their, their feet are ready to serve and to help someone else. Guys, the best remedy to our selfishness is get your mind off yourself. Get your mind on others. Find a way to serve one another. First John puts this magnificently. When people keep on sinning, he says, it shows that they belong to the devil who has been sinning since the beginning. Hear this. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Why can you wear your armor of God? Why are you even able to trust in faith in Jesus Christ? How are we even able to think we can stand a chance in this spiritual battle? Because Jesus Christ came to destroy the works of the devil. Chi Alpha friend sitting in these seats right now, hear this. The devil's done some damage to your life. Jesus Christ came to destroy the works of the devil in your life. Jesus wants to undo. He wants to reverse. He wants to take off the burdens that you carry. He's come to destroy the works of the devil. How on earth can you even put on the armor of God? You can because Jesus Christ came and made it possible through the cross. Jesus makes it possible. You can stand up in confidence. You can say, devil, you have no power here. You have no lie that any of us are going to believe. Why? Because my trust is in Jesus Christ. He's the one who has defeated you. He is the one who has conquered sin and death. My confidence is in him. It's Jesus who helps you and I overcome. Let's stand tonight.